Jonah chapter 1. The God of calamity. Let's bow our heads. Almighty Lord, thank you that you haven't left us without your witness, without your word. And you never want us to pass a day of our lives without speaking with you. Oh Lord, that we would learn from Jonah the truth, Father, that you would apply to our hearts, that we may ever draw closer to you. Amen. Okay. Today, Jonah chapter 1, he's sinking from sin. So that picture was more poignant than I thought when I first discovered it on the internet. It's lasted four weeks. I hope you enjoyed it. So just to recap where we've travelled as we've reached the beginning. I love that introduction, Geoffrey. Well said. <laughs> we finally reached the beginning. <laughs> Quietly, this little Jeff here cheers within. Of course, God still uses mess-ups. And uh, Jonah is a perfect uh, example, isn't he? As indeed, uh, you just don't know my mess-ups, but you can still see that God's willing to put up with my mess-ups as well. Well, second chances are not just for me. Remember, I'm a river, not a reservoir. He doesn't get, Jonah doesn't get this, uh, this submarine taxi just because the Lord's having mercy on Jonah. He's still having mercy on Nineveh as well. Refuse to judge those that God asks you to speak to. We are ever only the messenger of higher purposes. Refuse to judge others before God judges them. And it's easy, isn't it, to, uh, to find fault rather than to find compassion, to find malevolence rather than to find mercy. So things can change in a heartbeat. So wait. Wait for God to do the changing and allow mercy to triumph over judgment. And... Uh, that's another big message that just keeps flowing through, uh, through Jeff because this Jeff, not that Jeff, he's, he's a good man. Um, where there's mercy, there's compassion, isn't there? And God wants us, he, he's full of compassion, it's endless compassion. And he wants us to live out of his life, not, about, not out of our own life. So as we approach this chapter, we are hit by a storm. Now I just thought, that was as close as I could imagine to what it would look like for Jonah's boat being in the storm. If your imagination is different to mine, please forgive me. If yours is similar, please rejoice. But hit by a storm. So, as we begin to reflect on this chapter, can I say this chapter has two reasons in it for suffering. Now, the Bible, last time I checked the Bible, which is about a decade ago on this, there are 23 reasons in the Bible for suffering. I haven't got that many fingers, so I'll only hold up five. There are 23, but we're going to look at, briefly, we'll look at two of them a day. The first reason for suffering is on being disobedient. We can see that with Jonah. But the second reason for suffering is I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. That is the story of the, the sailors. Of course, the suffering that is being brought upon them in this point of time is not their fault, is it? So we've got two windows into reasons for suffering. Scare your storms. It's helpful and humble to ask of the Lord the reasons for the storms. It may not be your fault, it may be your fault, but if it's your fault, you've got a chance to do something about it. If it's not your fault, well, you've got to roll with the Lord and with the punches and with him in the storms and don't let go of him. Now, there are four great storms in the Bible. 
can anybody tell me to them, and don't say the flood, because I think the flood wasn't a storm, it was just a lot of rain. But you, we, you know the flood, if you want to, and it'd be five, but I'm not thinking of the flood. What are the four? This is one of the great storms. Who can think of the other th three? Two are in the Mediterranean, and two are on the Sea of Galilee. Paul was shipwrecked. That's the other one in the Mediterranean. So there are two in Galilee. Thank you. Jesus was in a boat and he was asleep. And Peter and the disciples were in a boat and Jesus walked towards them. There's the four. There's lessons in all of those. It's worth sitting down and reading those together. So, if storms are anything, they are bullies to faith. I don't think anybody here would have not felt their faith bullied when they were facing storms in life. And the temptation of the storm is to flee the Lord and not fight for the Lord. To run away from him, run away from him instead of running to him because storms bully my faith. Now Jonah's a prophet. He's in the mind of prophets. You've got to go back to two kings and you'll see that Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of the Old Testament but prophets are in both the Old and the New Testament because prophets are truth bearers. Exactly what Jonah says to, um, to Nineveh, you guys have got 40 days and it's one flash in your ash. You think that was what he said? 40 days. That's what he got. That's the truth. God knew it was the truth. He knew it was the truth when he got around to saying it. Now, so what a prophet does, he's a person who calls for repentance. But in the New Testament, the whole role of prophet has morphed from being not only a person who calls for repentance, but a person that brings God's encouragement to others as well. So God's message of, uh, of need for repentance and then God's message of need for encouragement is developed in the New uh, Testament in the office of prophet. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 14. But he's a prophet, Jonah. Now, obedience costs a lot. Please have your Bibles open. But disobedience costs a lot more. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Nineveh, go to the great son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now it's fascinating when I did a bit of homework on this. Son of Amittai means my truth. Amittai means my truth. So therefore... He's a prophet anyway, we're told that, and that's exactly what he's coming to do for Nineveh, to prophesy over them. He is a truth bearer. That's his role here, that's his role in life as a prophet of God. And it's the name that he's, that, that, that he's the son of, which I guess son of Amittai means he's Jonah Amittai, or however they worked that in those days. So he's the son of of a truth bearer. He too is a truth bearer. But in all of this, as Jonah's doing a runner from the Lord, or he's about to do a runner, the rumour of grace, the rumour of mercy appears in this book. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because his wickedness has come up before me. So God is already acting against wickedness, but he's not acting to judge wickedness. At this point, he's acting to save people from it. Here's the note of mercy, the note of grace, that God now is starting to filter through the book of Jonah.
The rumour of grace appears. However, if I don't like what I'm being asked to do, it's distasteful to me, so I run. And distaste strikes at obedience. Now, you've got to ask the question, does Jonah think that God is a territorial God? Now, he's been told that Nineveh is going to, uh, it's one flash or ash, uh, two will burn, you know, 40 days, it's all over and over. He knows this, he's got it from God. How can he imagine that he could escape God? Is God just a territorial God over Palestine or over the Middle East, but the Mediterranean is free from his influence? He's living like that, but I don't think he thinks it. Surely he's just being foolish. But the problem with obedience and disobedience is it's always about submission. Am I willing to submit my will to the Lord's will or he's got to submit his will to mine? That's what the issue becomes in any Christian life at any time. Who will I submit to? Remember in chapter 3, the king got up off of his throne, took off his royal robes, put on sackcloth and ashes. He was submitting himself, he was taking himself off his throne and putting himself in a place of submission. Jonah wasn't. Jonah's putting himself in a place of disobedience. Please remember that disobedience leads to distress, that the second state becomes worse than the first, no matter how bad that first state looks. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have wanted to be Jonah. On my own, going to a city of 120,000 wicked people. On my own. I wouldn't want to be going there with 120 in an army. I just wouldn't want to go there. So that looked pretty bad. But when he'd been swallowed inside a great fish, I bet he was wishing, oh, I wished I had gone to that city. It was still a worse, better state to be in than being inside the great fish. Remember, temptation says that it's better to take your alternatives and not God's alternative. But Temptation doesn't tell you that it's lying, that the alternative it's offering is going to hurt you more. Remember that, because temptation looks so good. If temptation had nothing to offer, no one would ever sin. Genesis 3 is the result of what looks nice is, uh, isn't helpful at all. St. Augustine, one of the patriarchs of the Christian church, said, there can be only two basic loves, the love of self unto the, unto the forgetfulness of God or the love of God unto the forgetfulness of self. No one's sort of halfway a Christian and halfway aren't. Sort of like being pregnant, you are or you aren't. We are either going to be forgetful to ourself or we're going to be forgetful to God. That's the nature of how life is led. He who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple, the good Lord says. The issue is forgetfulness to self. The issue Jonah failed on. So, let's get rolling. Verses 4 to 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the, threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the, boat, to lighten the load. To lighten the ship, sorry. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> Look at the mess he's brought these, these sailors into, and he's having a snooze. 
That's all he's doing. He's, he, he's the cause of the mess. They've lost all their cargo. They've thrown it all over the boat, overboard. The boat is threatening to break up and he's got his head on a pillow. It's easy to miss seeing the impact of our sin, isn't it? It's easy to continue on in our own way or in our own life and forget that our actions, our negligences, our indulgences all have wider impacts. Storms cast us to carry to 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 uh, cast off. Storms cause us to cast off all that is unnecessary, and that's why the sailors threw all the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now I've talked about this verse too before for one Peter four one. He who has suffered is done with sin, because he who has suffered has looked at the cargo he's carrying and said, "I don't want to carry it anymore. It hurts me too much." Now Jonah was getting to that point in chapter 2 but he obviously returns in chapter 4 to his old ways. The Bible talks about that too. He who has suffered is done with sin. I'm not going to keep carrying those things around with me that are going to cause me pain. The other thing that storms teach us and it's certainly taught these sailors, storms teach us to hold lightly to the things of this world. Because when my life is threatened, I work out what's most important to me, don't I? My house is burning. I'm going to know what's most important to me by what I take out of that house and what I'll leave to burn. And that's an instant decision. Storms teach us to hold lightly to to the things of this world. And that helps me when I'm in suffering, when I'm in hardship, when I'm in storms, that what things are important to me, what things aren't. And I'm going to continue to pursue the things that are important to me. That's when I find out how close I am to the Lord. Verse 6. The captain goes down to see Jonah. The captain went to see him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Interesting view of God. So a couple of gods here. Pagan view of God. Um, I think they're having an each way bet uh, in, in our modern parlance. There are lots of gods in their, in, their, in their minds. There's a god of the sea, there's a god of fishes, there's a god of the land. You know how that works, I think. Oh, you've heard of it anyway. There's a god of the sun and all these other sorts of gods. They want his god, whoever his god is, on their side. But then he gets terrified. Well, hang on, before we do that, an insecure captain knows only insecure gods. What the captain had done that was correct was that he sought peace from somebody who already had peace in the storms. The disciples do that when Jesus is asleep in the boat. Because, now he wouldn't have articulated it like this, whoever the captain was. But if I know there's somebody around me that's got peace within my storm, I'm going to want to find out what their secret is, aren't I? How did they get to be peaceful when I'm in such a distress and they're in the same boat, same place? The disciples did this in the storm with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and the pagans do this with Jonah because in his sinfulness he was still at peace. So they figured he held a secret and they went to him. Now, please don't forget that storms do not dispel guidance but they confirm that God's guided you. If things get hard when God's calling on you, remember 
that that's a confirmation that's not an indicator to flee. It's a confirmation to pursue. When we see life get hard, we think, oh, God can't want me in this situation, it's too hard, so I bail, I use that logic. But I want to reverse that and say, no, when you're doing things for the Lord, if it gets hard, remember that the louder the call is, the harder the task. So push through. Now what happened is these sailors got caught up in another sin. They said, verse 8, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Now it is wise to inquire into the distress. If I'm flooded in distress, if the storms are blowing around me and I can't control them, because that's the nature of a storm, if I can control it, it's probably a squall, I want to inquire to see if I can sort it out. And that's what they do. Now in verse 9, Jonah gives an interesting reply. An interesting reply. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He worships the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. So Jonah knows that God made the sea and the land. How did he ever think he could flee from God by going to the sea? See, the God we worship is the only God. He's not a territorial God like the pagans are imagining. He's the God who's in heaven that made the land and the sea. He's everywhere. Now, there's terror at the response. This terrified them in verse 10. And they asked, what have you done? So these sailors are now in a storm. They've lost everything. They've cast it off the boat. They're in terror and they're looking for answers. Sin is never conducted in a vacuum. These men now have been put into a bad place because of what's happened through Jonah's disobedience. Remember I said there are two, two reasons today in this passage for suffering. The first one is I've been disobedient. The second one is I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. I've been caught up in the, in the, sin, in, in the, in the sin of another. But it wasn't my fault. Now, a true story. Um, I got a mate of mine to try to join the Air Force years ago. Years ago, 40 years ago. And he'd done all the tests because he wanted to become a jet pilot. So uh, he, he's a really intelligent man. Now, what had happened, they did, a, did an examination on him, a physical examination before he finally was accepted into the Air Force. So he's 18 years of age at this point in time. And I found that he had a broken back when he was little. Now here's the story. It's a sad story. It's a sad story. When he was six and his brother was eight, they were walking down the road 100 metres from their house, just one afternoon. A good, normal, healthy thing to do. Brother... Two brothers walking together down the or not down the road, they walk on the footpath. And the drunk went past in a car, mounted the curb, and took them both out. The drunk actually killed his brother and broke his back. Can you see how that man's whole life, or everybody, everybody's life, the world changed around them? 
because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, whoever the drunk was, no idea what happened, no, no details at all. But whatever pub he'd stayed in too long or whatever circumstances he in that he drunk too much and then he decided to hop in the car, while he thinks it's okay to drink, <clears throat> he had no idea about the carnage he was about to bring into the life and the world of many people. And that man, he's a, he's a terrific man, he's a godly man, had his life changed completely at six years of age. His, elder, his brother was the eight-year-old. Now, his whole life, is, he couldn't fly jets because he couldn't get into the, uh, into the Air Force to do what he wanted to do. Now, he's not a man that's got any sense of bitterness, vengeance or, 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 or uh, bad feelings out of that. He's, he's a godly man. But can you see how he got caught up in the sins of another? There's no vacuum, even if you're sitting in your lounge and just drinking on your own and then you go and hop in the car. There's no thing. You, you, people get hurt. We can get hurt simply because we're in the right place or in the wrong place at the wrong time. Storms come from what looks good. Whoever that drinker was probably thought, oh, this is really good, I'll have another, I'll have another schooner, I'll have another midi. And you know how it goes, it looked fine. Jonah thought, I'm doing a runner, I'm going to go to Tarshish. Hop on the boat or drop it, I'm getting away from God. It looked good, but they were bad judgments. The times arise when we are with the wrong people at the wrong time, <clears throat> so storms are met and we can't flee them. You just can't get away. My friend could no more get away from this car, I don't even know if he saw it coming, than the, boat, than, the, than the sailors could get out of this boat with Jonah. We are thrown off course and we feel pain rarely considered. You don't know what's going to hurt. You don't know how bad things can hurt until something like that happens. You've just got no idea. But these sailors are caught in another sin. So, verses 12 to 16. The sea was getting rougher. Oh, sorry, 12. Pick me up, Jonah says, and throw me into the sea. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Finally, Jonah decides to sacrifice isn't that what God had first asked him to do? Go for a few days. It's all it was, three days across the, 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 to minister to Nineveh. Go for a few days, sacrifice that time. But he wouldn't. But now he does decide to sacrifice. So to the observer, it seems to my mind that maybe he thinks his life is uh, cheap. He's happy with death. We've seen that already in the other chapters. Oh, Lord, just take me away. Don't know, that's speculation, but it's fascinating to think through. Storms must change my heart before they can change my future. That's when I'm looking at my role in the storms that I'm in. Because you know what? Storms are humbling. I can't blame others for my storms when I've found that I'm the centre of the storm. That's the good thing about storms. I can't stop storms, maybe squalls, but I can't stop a storm unless I repent. No more than Jonah could stop this storm. It was Jonah changing his mind and deciding to sacrifice himself that changed the storm, that brought peace. Please understand, if there are big storms in your life, and if you can see that you're in the first category and not the second category, it's helpful to, to examine what repentance the Lord may be asking of you because there's peace at the end. 
but it's hard and it's humbling to ask those questions. And you still all might get it. There might be other reasons for the storms. But these are the first two things to look at to my mind when storms are in our lives. Because I want the peace that's at the other end of the storm. I want that peace. When the storms arrive, they can be no longer resisted. Yet it's interesting here that even the pagans are still inclined to row their own boat. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Is that not the nature of storms? There are things I can't change, no matter how much effort I put into it, no matter how pure my intentions may be to get out of that storm. It just gets wilder. That's when I'm in the storm. I can't resist it. The greatest impact that storms, sorry, the storms of greatest impact prepare you for the seasons of most impact. Remember, all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his name, Romans 8.28. So even when you're in the storm, there's good that's coming on the other side of it. But you've got to get through the storm with the Lord, not fleeing from him, because the storm's only, the storm's only get, going to get bigger anyway. And isn't it sad that these pagans here cry to the Lord, sad in a parallel sense, not in a literal sense, then they cry to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Guys, just think about that for a moment. Here is the man who is the truth bearer. He's the son of my truth. That's Jonah's name. The son of my truth. But the pagans are more righteous than he who holds the truth. They're the ones that are trying to save him. The problem with storms is they demand sacrifice. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Don't dishonour or refuse the time for repentance. Because if Jonah wasn't willing to sacrifice, that storm was going to cause them all death because they could not resist it. So now Jonah has put himself at the point of self-death because he knew no fish, he would not know of any fish that was coming to swallow him. So he's willing to sacrifice for the well-being of others. Look at verse 16. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him, taking encouragement, because not only is sin never conducted in a vacuum, but neither is repentance. So these men now have been led to the Lord, and they now enjoy the peace of the Mediterranean. Why? Because Jonah got it right this time. So there's the, the light and the dark. There's both sides of, of, the, of the impact. He had a good impact on these men. Many didn't even try to convert. Many didn't even try to speak to. Many were sleeping, sleeping away from. Still now changed because Jonah changed. Remember, from your storms the greatest impact comes when they're audited well. Good even arise for pagans, for pagans when caught up in another's repentance. 
Now let's tie this together. There's a rumour of grace. So there's two rumours of grace already in chapter 1 as we end the story that we've just begun. Two rumours of grace. You've got, got it in verse 2 that Jesus that or God wants to turn the people from wickedness. And you've got it in verse 17. This, this is sort of like a, a pregnant verse to my mind. A great fish, the Lord um, provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. That's saying that the intent of God was that Jonah should not die. He said a miracle to rescue Jonah anyway. Jonah's job still wasn't done and Jonah was being shown God's mercy yet again that he could therefore repeat that mercy, be a river and not a reservoir, to Ninevites when he was uh, cast ashore. And there's another little pregnancy to that verse. Can anybody see what that other second one is? The sign of Jonah, Jesus talks about it. Three nights, three days, three nights in the dark, in a tomb. Well done. He's in a tomb. He says, this, this is, looking with the old New Testament eyes going backwards, it's easy to see why Jesus says no sign will be given to the Jews except for the sign of Jonah. That Jesus will be three days and three nights in a grave, in a tomb, but then he will be alive again. So guys, as with both Jonah and Nineveh, God calls out for repentance. But you know the good thing about this, not only does mercy triumph over judgment, but take this away, God doesn't give up on mess-ups. He hasn't given up on me, and I presume I don't have to say yet now, because he's never given up on me, so be encouraged. Please, whatever may or may not be that you think, oh, the Lord wouldn't want me, the Lord couldn't use me, he can, he does, he loves you and he wants you, and he's got, still got a call on your life. Now, guys, let's tie this next... Today's the penultimate Sunday for me. Next week we finish. I finish. Um, next Sunday. So... Six weeks ago, seven weeks ago next Sunday, we started with the pedestal of worship. What I wanted to do was bracket the series that Wayne gave me the opportunity to, to, to speak with two things that seemed to bracket life, getting worship and getting love correct. Can you remember what we talked about? You would do really well. If you do, I'll be impressed. But can you remember what the pedestal of worship was? Because there's lots of different ways to worship. What's the type of worship that was acceptable to God? Worship vessel. Yes, yeah, that's Romans 2. Thank you. Yes, you're right. That is exactly right. Romans 1 and 2. 12, 1 and 2. Thanks, Vessel. We need to be a living sacrifice. In fact, I could have used that today, couldn't I? Thank you. Uh, pedestal of worship's truth. John 4.27, the worship the Father desires is in spirit and in truth. That's what we looked at. Next week we're going to look at what the pedestal of love is. 
because there's a lot more in God's word to grasping the nature of love than the world tells us these days. Let's bow our heads. I thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness you've sown, you've sown in each of us and you've shown to each of us, Lord. I please that our spirits and hearts may be only ever for your faithfulness to multiply within our lives. I pray this, Father, through the precious name of Jesus. Amen.